0: This morning, we're going to have a guest speaker with us. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see him again after yesterday, but we're hoping so. Um, actually, this weekend, uh, we began a process of what we call vision and values, where we're trying to have a conversation with each other and with the Lord about what is our community. It has changed so much, and is changing so rapidly uh, to get a context for where we're ministering ourselves where we live and then a context for who we are as a church because we've changed and uh, so we're we're working through a process of that and uh, eric olson's with us today and he uh, comes from the billings montana by way of southern california but don't hold that against him right (laughs) Uh, and his wife kathy is with him and so we're grateful to have kathy here as well eric uh is the assistant to the district superintendent of our Rocky Mountain District and uh, has come to help us in this process. And I'm excited to have him come and uh, share the word with us this morning. So, Eric, if you would come and let's give him a warm Idaho greeting.
1: Woo! woo. I, I just want to know if I can get a piece of candy. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about up here. My wife turns to me and she says... He says, good luck following that, all right? <laughs> Great message, there's candy, there's coloring, and I'm just going to stand here and talk to you, so sorry for the disappointment. Um, let's see, a little bit about me. So, been a pastor uh, for 34 years, the first 32 years in churches, uh, leading churches and different other roles as well, some larger, some smaller, and um, uh, let's see, uh, California all that time. And uh, people often say to me, um, wow, it must be great to be out of California. And uh, listen, I know the problems because not only was I a pastor for those 32 years, I lived there for 55 years. Um, So I know all about, you know, taxes and politics and, you know, smog and traffic and all. I know all the problems, but we weren't running from anything to come up here. Really, God called us to come up here and to be with people like you. So my job is to travel around to the different churches and help work with the teams, work with the leaders, care for the people in the church. And uh, it's I have a great job. And uh, I, I don't love driving in the snow. So I, I've had three. Win- this is my third winter coming up. The first one was the coldest winter in 85 years. Thanks a lot. <laughs> that was a good time. Um, driving back into snow in Billings today. But, uh, you know, like you guys, I'm I, you get used to it after a while, right? Um, But I love being with all of you and being uh, uh, with the churches. So uh, let's see, Uh, married 34 years, the three kids, oldest, Uh, he and his wife uh, gave us our first grandbaby here this year in February, so we are really glad to be in the club, and uh, um, the whole COVID thing has been a little bit of a problem to actually see the baby, but, um, but that's all right. Second son, he and his wife are in Boston, she's going to grad school, he's working in my Third child, my daughter, still lives in Southern California where we came from. Um, Huntington Beach, by the way, in case that uh, helps give you context for where we used to be. So So that's a bit about us. Um, I I want to talk with you about this um, or begin talking with you uh, with a story. And it's a story my wife doesn't even quite remember. But I remember it because they related to me when they got back from the store. My daughter and my wife were going to get my daughter all the things she needed to go to college. She was going to move away to college. And um, so not very far, but you have to have everything. So you have to go to, like, Target or Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever. And you got to get, like, a, you know, a tote for your shampoo and your soap. All these things you have to have so you can make, get your daughter set up for college. So, so I am just very grateful I didn't have to go on that trip. Um, so they go off, and they come back with bags full of all kinds of junk. I don't even know what. And, um, but then the, they, they say, say, yeah, you know, it's a funny thing. There was this lady in the store. And um, and uh, we were there. We were looking at shampoo, and and this lady sort of just like kind of slides up behind us. And as we're looking at the shampoo, this sort of you know, herbal essence or whatever it was. It's the only brand of shampoo I can think of. Anyway, they're looking at this. She reaches kind of between them and says, here's a coupon. Total stranger. Here's a coupon for a dollar off. It's kind of nice. Okay, a dollar off. And then she starts looking in their cart. And it's a little awkward, right? It could be anyway, like, oh, I see you have terrible foot fungus, right? Because they see the cure there. Here's a coupon, you know. Oh, you have terrible body odor, I see. Here's a coupon, right? It's like it can be a little awkward and a little bit creepy even. Um, but I think about that lady. Either that day or, or maybe several other days, she got up. And she clipped out all these coupons that she knew she was never going to use. And then when she went to the store... She was just looking to see if there's someone who she could give it to, someone she could help. So they said, well, we haven't decided yet, right, on the coupon. And she says, that's okay. Just leave it there. Somebody will use it. And I, I think about that lady, and I think about myself. And, I, 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 you know, this doesn't end with all of us, you know, being creepy and, you know, out there in the stores. But she was thinking, you know what, I want to be ready. If there's someone that I can help or serve that day. I don't know her motive. I don't know anything like that. But I think about myself and think about my day. Does my day begin like that? I I have a to-do list I put on my phone. It's also on my computer. And I also have a written version. Okay? So it's all planned out through the day. And the plan for her day, at least part of it, was I want to go help someone. I want to go serve someone. I want to go benefit someone else. And think about this in relation to Jesus' invitation for us to do that same kind of a thing. His call for us, his, his invitation is to go be a light, to go make a difference, to go to go change people's world in some very small way, perhaps. Maybe just change their day. Maybe just change their moment, but to make a difference in their lives in such a way that at the end of the day, they'll they'll be driving home and they'll think to themselves or they'll be back at their house and they'll think, wow, God, thanks for sending that person. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to that person. Thanks that when I was stuck and I couldn't solve my problem at work, my problem on the side of the road, or whatever my problem was, thanks for sending that person. And then it's an opportunity for us to make a difference and an opportunity for God to get credit for it as well. So I want to take you to this passage, and it's going to be a big statement about how Jesus serves the world. And then he's going to take it down to these very specific things. My hope is that somewhere in there you'll find some specifics as well and how you can make a difference, how you can change the world or at least some small part of it as well. So we're going to do this in Matthew chapter 10, or sorry, Matthew. It's Mark. It's not Matthew. Mark chapter 10. We'll have the verses up on the screen for you so you can follow along there. If you have a Bible or a phone, do whatever works for you. You can follow along. I'm going to show you this passage. And uh, it begins with this. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says, they were on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus and his followers, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, it says, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside. and He told them what was going to happen to them. So, so some who are following are, are amazed at what's happening because they know something big is happening. And some are actually afraid because I think, it doesn't tell us, but I think, They saw Jesus' determination. He was going to follow through no matter what happened. Nothing was going to get in his way as they go up to Jerusalem. So they're on their way. And then Jesus says, this is verse 32 now. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man, that's how Jesus referred to himself. So he's saying, me. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. He says, this is, this is what's going to happen. He's telling the future and, and just the immediate future, and it's about him. He says, I'm going to be delivered, and I'm going to be tortured, and I'm going to die. And he had been explaining this to them at least three other times, saying, listen, I'm going to sacrifice myself, Jesus, the Son of God, I'm going to sacrifice myself for the payment of everyone's sins. That is that big of a payment because it's God himself. And with the idea that he would not just pay the price, but that then through the payment of that price, you and I would experience forgiveness and salvation. And new life because of what he did on the cross. And then he gives that little words of hope, which they forgot completely. Oh, I'll rise again right in three days as well. So he makes this, this significant statement that's a statement for you and I and for all of humanity. And you know what happened with them? They totally missed it, totally clueless. He's saying, I, I'm going to offer my life as a sacrifice to bring salvation. And, and, and they're completely clueless. It's like they say, yeah, 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 you have a lot to do, I know, but could you do something for us? in the meantime? Is, is that, That's what's happening in the passage. He says, listen, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be tortured. And here's what they say in the very next verse. James and John, says, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So does that work in any context? No, parents, right? Your kid comes to you, your son, your daughter, whoever, and they say, Listen, Dad, would you do whatever I ask? Listen, it's a hard no, Right? You go to your boss, and you say, hey, boss, would you do whatever I ask? It's a hard no, right? Because you know they're just trying to manipulate you into doing something that they know you don't want to do. So they're thinking, you know what? Let's see if we can manipulate Jesus. It, it's all wrong. They're not bad guys, but it's all wrong for sure. So they say, can you? Well, they're not, we're not there yet. Uh, I should say this, I guess, first. We don't look at James and John so we can say, boy, those guys are really dumb. We look at James and John because sometimes we recognize, you know, we can be like that, too. Because sometimes it can be about us and what we want for us and uh, and not about what God really wants for others. And so there's probably a, a little bit of a lesson in there from James and John. So Jesus has said, listen, this is why I'm coming. This is what I'm going to do. And then in verse 36, uh, he answers them and he i. This is not in the text, but I think the tone is somehow part of it. He, I, in that, I, If it was me, I'd be like, what do you want me to do for you? I, I don't know if that's true. I'd, I can't read the tone of Jesus in the text. But, but I, 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 if it was me, it would be sort of a resignation. Like, you just missed the biggest message of hope for all of humanity. Salvation can be theirs. And you want to tell me what you want. Oh, okay. What do you want me to do? for So... They replied, verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to go through all of this condemnation and be mocked and spit on. And they say, yeah, 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 yeah. But can you make sure we get the good seats in heaven? Can you make, can you look out for us, make sure that we get everything that we want? And we, we don't want a lot. We just want like, he wants to be CEO and I want to be president. That's basically what they're asking. Right. Because if, if Jesus is up here in heaven, the people sitting on either side of them, there's power and there's glory and it's it's the good seats. Right. And uh, so they ask him that. And and it, it's interesting, you know, context in the Gospels is always really helpful. If, if we went back and we don't do it, but if we had time to go look in Mark, chapter nine, the chapter before, it says they're arguing over who's the greatest. How do you argue over who's the greatest when you're part of Jesus? Very close knit group of twelve. I have no idea, but I imagine it goes like this. Imagine if Jim and I are arguing over who's the greatest. If we were Pastor Jim and I were in that group, and, and Jim would never say this, but let's say he said, he said I don't know. Uh, I'm just saying, I, did you, that person had a headache yesterday, and I prayed, and bam, it was healed. And then I would say, headaches? Really? That's all you got? There's this guy with a broken leg. I prayed. Boom! He's walking. And then Jim's like, oh, yeah, well, did you see the guy who had leprosy? I don't know how you argue over who's the greatest in the kingdom. I hope I wouldn't do that. I know Jim would never do that. But that's what they're, what they're arguing about on, in Mark 9. And then in Mark 10, they're like, we want to get these great seats in heaven. And there's part of that that's sort of in humanity and in all of us at different times. That we have aspirations, and sometimes they come from really good motives, and sometimes they come from other motives as well. But they're trying to figure themselves out, and it's, and it's not going well. And Jesus, in his world, in Jesus' kingdom, it's not about any of those things. And you know this, right? In Jesus' kingdom, the world he wants to create is a world of of justice, a world of humble people, a a world of people who have integrity and, and serve each other. And if I was Jesus at this point, I don't know about you. You're probably more patient than I am. Be like, listen, I told you guys three times. Yesterday, you're arguing over who's the greatest, and now you want to know who's the, who gets the best seats. I need to get a new crowd. That's what I would be thinking if I was Jesus. Like, you guys are never going to get it. But then, in my occasional impatience, I think about Jesus and his constant patience. They totally don't get it. And he stays right there with them in the conversation. He still has them right there in his closest circle, this is not the point of the passage, but it is something for you and I to know, too. At our worst, at our most selfish, we're still in Jesus' circle. We're still Jesus' closest friends, that nothing can separate us from that. And, and if you're here and you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I've done or where I am or how long I've been there, let me just tell you about the patience of Jesus for those closest to him who are the most clueless. He still wraps his arms around them. He still includes them. He still loves them, and, and that means you too. So Jesus answers them. It says further, I should say, in John 10, 30, not John either. First I said it was Matthew, and it was Mark. And then I said it was John, and it's still Mark. Sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 38. He says they asked to be in the, in the best seats. He says, you don't know what you're asking. And then he says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? The cup in the Bible is, is this, this sort of symbol of, of someone's life. Like if you have something really bad happen to you, um, you lose your crop, you lose your cattle, you, something, some reversal happens in your life, lose someone dear to you. And we might say, boy, that's a bitter cup to drink, meaning that experience. And so he's using that. And he's, and he's saying, can you, can you really live the life that I'm going to live? I mean to be in those seats. I mean you have to actually walk in the steps, and can you really do that? And and you know Jesus is gonna um, is gonna identify with humanity, and he's going to take on God's wrath against sin. That's what he's doing. He's like, can you really do that? And you know you know their answer, right? Their answer in verse thirty nine, we got this. Basically, we can. They answered, and then Jesus says, well, actually, you will. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. Jesus says, Do you think you can handle this? Like Christian life's not a victory parade that you run to the front of and everything turns out perfectly. But nor is it a life of defeat either. Right? It's a life of struggle and a life of challenge, but a life where we can also find victory through our faith in Jesus Christ. And theirs is exactly that. He says, You will experience what I experience being persecuted. And so we know, we look in history, right? We see, look in the Bible, and, and in um, Acts 12, it says James was killed with a sword for his faith. We know about John, the same John. He uh, was 95 years old, and he's exiled to the island of Patmos in Turkey, an island off the coast of Turkey. And, uh, and he's doing uh, slave labor, breaking rocks as an old man. That was his punishment. Because why? Because he was a Christian. That was why. They did actually drink the cup. And uh, so Jesus' words came true. But then he continues, and he says in verse 40. Excuse me a second. I got tested. It came back negative last week. I'm clean, okay? Uh, Verse 40. Jesus says, But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. He says, he says, we have sort of responsibilities, if you will, between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And he says, those aren't, those aren't mine. That's somebody else's decision on on what will take place there. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Jesus, you think, wait, he's God, right? And, and even as he was down on the earth and he, he let go of some of his attributes, chose not to express those and, and to walk in those, and it didn't diminish his value at all. It didn't dimin- diminish his character or his essence by being willing to submit to God the Father. It's the same thing for you and me. It doesn't diminish us to submit to God the Father either, just as it did not Jesus. So, okay, so get the scene. Two guys over here, and they're talking to Jesus trying to get the, the best seats in heaven. Ten guys over here, and they find out these two guys got to Jesus first, and they're ticked. You know why they're ticked? Somebody else got the first two seats. You know what's left? The cheap seats. Yeah, it's the nosebleed section. That's all that's left. They're mad about it. And, and, and so rather than be like, oh, you guys, you shouldn't be trying to push yourselves ahead of everybody. Right? They're like, why didn't we get there first? Well, I wish we would have asked Jesus that. Verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Because they thought there was only a certain number of seats. Jesus says, all right, folks, let's have a sit down. Come on, come on in. Let's have a conversation about this. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? You know how people are. Everyone's trying to get ahead. Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all he doesn 't say you ought to quit trying to be great, you ought to quit trying to make an impact. you ought to quit trying to strive for something he doesn 't say that you should all just be passive and and weak and do nothings he doesn 't say that he says listen you want to you want to drive for something you want to give your life for something here 's what it should be for. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. So what does that look like in Target? What does it look like in school? What does it look like in church or in the neighborhood? I can tell you what it looks like in my neighborhood. I want to tell you about my friend Dell. Dell is about 70, maybe? Something like that. So we moved into Billings, Montana, is where we live when we're not traveling to churches. and We get in the house and they have a uh, they have a hookup for an electric dryer, but we have a gas dryer. So we asked the owners, can we hook up the, because we're renting there, can we put, hook up a gas line? They're like, sure, but we're not paying for it. So we found a plumber who was charging us $400 or something. Was that? Something like that, yeah. So I, somebody said, you should call Dell. I'm like, okay, Dell's a plumber. I called Dell and I said, hey, listen, Dell, uh, I want to run a gas line underneath the house. I've actually done it before, but it's been a long time, and I want to make sure I don't blow up the house. So could you come over and, you know, kind of tell me what to do? I'll do the work, but you tell me what to do. He's like, sure. So we go over. We crawl into the house. It's July. It's hot. And underneath the house, ha- we don't air condition the crawl space under our house, right? It's blazing hot under there. So he says, all right, I think I know what we need. I'll go get the parts. And I'm like, I'm like great. Just tell me what it is. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. So he says, yeah, I'll come back in a couple days. He comes back, and he goes, well, let's go do it. And I'm like, uh, I'll, I'll, you know what I'm thinking. No offense to any 70-year-olds, 70, 70 but Dell's at least 70 years old. And it's like down way underneath the house in the dirt and the dust, and, and it's hard physical work to run the lines. What if something happens to Dell? A, I'm going to feel terrible. B, I have to drag him all the way up. Uh, it, this is a problem for me, right? And it's hot. We're down there, we're sweating, and, and, he's, and he won't let me hardly do a thing. And I'm, I'm like, hey, let me do that. He's like, no, I can. Oh, tightening the, the whatever they are. Uh, that's my expertise in plumbing. The little thingy-dingy to the doohickey, and he got those all connected. And, and we're sweating like crazy, and, and, uh, and, and I, I feel like this is all wrong. Like, I should be doing the work. And, and, uh, and I said, look, tell me what I owe you. Uh, you're, you're, you know, he's a retired plumber. He This is a $100 job. Tell what Oh, yeah, I, look, I, I know this is worth something real. And he's like, he's like, uh oh, $28. I'm like, eh. he goes, that's the cost of the parts. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I didn't even want you to do it. And now he's like, nope, that's it, $28. That was the cost instead of our 450 or whatever it was from the plumber. But that that's what this looks like. Is I didn't ask Dell even to do it. All I wanted is him to show me, and Dell says, "Ah, I'll keep. I'll go. I'll go all the way down. It works great. We've been drying clothes for a year and a half. Um, so God bless Dell. But that's what this looks like. He's like, if you can do, if you have a way physically, tangibly, to serve someone, that's what it looks like. Now Jesus is going to give an, another broad statement about his life. In verse forty-five, he says, "For even the Son of Man." did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus says, this, this is the whole focus of my life. who really should be served. But my whole focus of my life is to give my life as a payment, as a ransom for sin. And, and so he gives us not just the words, but he also gives us the model, if you will, So we went out to dinner the other night with with Jim and Patty, and we went to Elevation 486. I think that's what it's called. It was good. So we have Cindy, our waitress. Cindy's not here, right? Cindy did a great job. If she was here, she did a great job. Um, But we, sometimes in restaurants, you know, they call them the waiter or the waitress, but some restaurants, you know what they call them? They call them the server, right? Because what do they do? They come and serve you... Some really yummy Idaho trout, which she did. And it was. And, but is she really serving us? I feel more like Cindy and I got a deal. Because, here's the deal I sit down and you serve me good food in a timely manner. And she knows I serve them good food in a timely manner and I'll get a fat tip. Right? Is that serving? I think it's more of a transactional relationship, right? The deal is, because I've never gone into a restaurant and said, hey, I got a $20 bill. I wonder who I should give this to. Right? I wonder if there's a waiter I could just put it in their pocket and walk out. I've never done that. And, the, and Cindy never goes into the restaurant, I assume, on her day off and says, you know what? I don't want to get paid. I don't want tips. All I want to do is give someone a really nice meal. Right? We have this deal. So is that serving? I don't think it's serving. I think because here's why: if you want something for someone, that's serving. But when you want something from them, I don't know that that's serving. So this is when we talk about what is serving. And serving is when you want something for someone, not from them. I wanted something out of Cindy, and she did a great job. Don't go like talk to her and tell her I told her all about her in church. Well, yes, you could. You could say, "What did he say?" When she says, "What did he say?" Say, "You did a great job," But she did. But serving is when you want something for someone, not from someone. That's how you know. So for Jesus, he came to give his life a sacrifice for. For me, for you, not as a transactional relationship. Now, John, who says, I want the best seats, I want to be ahead of everybody. He finally got it because we look later in the Bible and we look in the book of first john and we see john write about this very same thing we're here in in mark 10 he's saying i want to be first and then finally in first john chapter 3 is where we'll look at when he when, in that passage he's you can see it really sunk in with him and so here's what he says first john chapter 3 verse 16 to 18 it says this it says this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. See, in the same section, uh, the Bible says this in First John chapter two. It says, "It says anyone who follows Jesus must uh, walk in His steps." And, and John got it it 's just tangible it's physical so here's a couple of uh, principles for you to think about maybe it helps to see them visually. Number one is this, is this idea of serving others first that's that 's what serving is it's when they come before you the second one I would say like this and that is when we want something for someone not something from someone as I said just a minute ago so we had a we I was out of work uh, for a bunch of years back, and I was working a Couple of part-time jobs that weren't not they weren't great. We decided to have a garage sale, and uh, so you know we have a bunch of stuff to sell. We're probably going to move anyway. Call my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and say, um, "Hey, we're having a garage sale. Do you guys want to come and sell some stuff?" And they're like, "Yeah, that would be great." So they bring this whole giant you know van loads full of stuff over. We uh, put all kinds of things out there. We have this big old garage sale. Tons of people come. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we're like, we're tallying up, you know? And, and, and we're like, well, how'd you do? You know, and we had, I don't remember when I was three or $350 or something. This was like a long time ago, like 30 years ago. That was a lot of money. We were super excited. And then they, we said, how did you do? And they said, we, got, we, we made $400. I'm like, wow. And then they handed it to us. I was like, what are you doing? And they said, no, that was always the deal for us. We're having a garage sale because you don't have any money. So we brought all our stuff over. This idea of material possessions, they got it. But it's not hundreds of dollars, right? Jesus' call isn't necessarily that. I think one time I got it right. I'm in Albertsons. Do you guys have Albertsons in this town? Okay, yeah. So I'm in Albertsons. I got my cart. I got a bunch of stuff in it. And there's this lady behind me, and she's got like 15 cans of dog food. And little cans, though, right? She's all like this. And I said, hey, do you want to put your stuff in my cart? She's like, oh, yeah, that would be great. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Look, it might be $400, but it might be like, you know, 14 square inches in your cart. And then she told me about her dog and her husband, and he feeds the dog too much. And I had this long conversation, but, but she thanked me over and over. Just Sometimes it's just those little things, just those little things that the kind of serving that Jesus would do is physical and tangible and specific, and it doesn't have to be heroic even. Sure, sometimes it's heroic, but it doesn't have to be heroic. That's what Jesus' call is here. I can't help but think a couple more things about verse 17 in First John still, First John chapter 3 still. A couple more ideas about this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, it's like it's, it's personal. A brother or sister, that's us in here. And many of you, I think, are probably good at this. But if we see someone in need, it's personal, it's tangible. And uh, by the way, I want to say this, too. Um, It also substantially changes relationships. Here's what I mean. Sometimes in marriage, the burden is really heavy. Because you have all these kids. And by the way, you can be one kid and feel like all these kids, right? Because they're up and they're sick and they're all the things happening, and you're tired, and you worked, and you're busy, and she's busy, and, and you get overwhelmed, and then, and then the baby wakes up, and you start talking about how tired you are, right? And the husband says, oh, I'm so tired. And the wife says, yeah, me too. The husband says, yeah, it was really a rough day at work, but one of us is going to need to go get that baby. And the wife goes, well, I had a really hard day at work too. And the husband says, well, I, you know, last night I, I, you know, I didn't get great sleep. All right. And the wife's like, well, I didn't either. And they begin you know, sort of arguing over who's tireder. Right. And like, how is that going to end? Like, there's, there's no good ending to this. But if one person says, I got this one. That's all they say. I got this one. That's what Jesus is talking about. If, if someone sees their brother or sister in need, that's the need one person to say, I got this. Because you know what happens? It's, it's, it's almost like magic. But maybe it's not magic. Maybe it's the, the work of God when we live out of scriptures. When, when one person says, I got this one, and goes in and picks up the baby. You know what happens when the baby's back down and they come back in the room? You know what the other spouse says? I'll get the next one. That's, it, 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 that's how God intended marriage to be. It's how God intended our relationships to be. And when we step into that, even in our closest relationships, or maybe especially, that's when they're transformed. When we live out the scripture in those with those who are closest to us. So, principles. I've got to wrap this up. Number one, serve others first. Number two, want something for someone, not from someone. That's how we know it's serving. Number three from first John is serving must be personal. Right, he says, if you see a brother or a sister, it's good for you to write checks. That's great, but it's even more powerful when it's personal. Uh, number four must be tangible, specific, and then number five. I want to talk about this. Uh, this number actually, I'll get to number five in a second. I want to say this: um, some of you, you've served a lot already, and you hear a message and you think, I don't know if I can do anymore. I'm already kind of maxed. So I just want to tell you, Jesus knows. He sees. He's seen your service. He's seen your heart. He's watched how you've really lived this out. And He loved you before. You can't make Him love you more. But He's up there cheering, saying, Yes, she got it right. He's not saying, ah, I want to get every ounce out of you until you're just a wreck on the floor and useless to everybody. That's not what he says. I want to tell you, he sees you. He recognizes you. And and he brings reward. Sometimes it's in the moment. It's certainly in heaven. So if you're someone who says, I'm already serving all I can, Jesus is saying, yeah, I know. You're doing so great. And I will reward you big time. The last point, number five, is this idea of an interruptible life. Did I not tell you? I have on this my to-do list for today it's already synced with my to-do list on my computer and then i also have the written version i have my plan but when i look at the life of jesus do you think he had a plan they were astonished and afraid in this passage because of the plan he had they're like oh my gosh he's on it he's going he's going. he could he can uh, complete his agenda every day but you watch in the in the scriptures you see things that he, do, uh, he did and you, you see him like he's walking along the road and he sees he sees a tax collector, and he says, hey, let's have dinner tonight. Okay, and it almost looks like it's this interruption to where he was going. He was walking on the road, and there's this this uh, man, Bartimaeus, who's blind. And, he, and he's, he's walking. It's almost like if you read the scripture, he's walking like this. He's like, he just turns. And, and, then, and then one time, you might remember this, he's, um, a, a man, Jairus, comes and, and he comes and he says, hey, would you come and heal my child? And he's like, he's like yeah, I, I will go heal, heal your child. And he's going to do that, interrupted from what he was already doing. And then this lady comes and touches him. She's been, had, she's been bleeding for years and years. And he's, he's, this is an interruption. And then she interrupts his interruption. And he's like, hey, who was that? Not because he didn't know, but because he wanted to have a face-to-face connection with that woman. It's almost like he's being interrupted all the time. And so maybe there's a lesson somewhere in the, in the interruptions. Do you, do you remember the, the story he's, he's teaching in a house and the, and the ceiling starts coming apart? And they're lowering this dude right in the middle because he needs to be healed? I'm just like, that's an interruption. And in the interruptions, sometimes that's where his most powerful work happens. It's the same for you and me. Sometimes in the interruptions, when they're his interruptions, that those are the powerful moments to express God's grace to someone, to pray for them, to meet a tangible need. That's why that number five is important. Now, somebody who reads the Bible a lot, they may say, wait a second. He was God, right? He knew he was going to be interrupted. Okay. You think you got me? I think I got you on this one. So he began his day planning to be interrupted. He began his day knowing (laughs) certain things he was going to do, but prepared for these interruptions that might come so that he could minister to people, meet their needs, love them tangibly in the middle of whatever his agenda was. And then that becomes a model for us too. We begin the day and say, Jesus, I have a plan. and It is a good one. And I even think it's from you. But if you have an interruption, would you help me to recognize it? And if there's a need I can meet, would you help me to see it for what it is so that I can be there, whether it's to listen, to give, to serve, to help, whatever that might be. And and, and that's when we bring the glory of God into these small, brief, even moments. Because people say, wow, thank God that he sent you to me. Thank thank God that you listened to me. Thank God that you served me. I I thank God for my brother-in-law and sister-in-law because we could pay our mortgage that month. They say, thank God, and and they give glory to God. And that's where, if on our best moments, our highest motive is. Not that I would get the glory, but that God would get the glory. Matthew 5.16 says it like this. Let your light shine before men and women, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's take a minute. We'll pray together. Jesus, we come into this, uh, into this moment of prayer, but really just grateful that we're actually in the middle of a conversation with you through our worship to you and our prayers earlier, that we've been in this conversation and, and we're still in it. So, Jesus, we thank you that uh, you served us in the most deep and powerful way through your death on the cross for us, but also gave us the example on how we can serve and love and be part of your kingdom. And so. So, Jesus, we just pray, would would you this day, would you this week, would you open up our eyes to those things that feel like interruptions to us, but are things that you actually planned? Maybe there's something big or or small, but would you help us to see those things that are your exact plan for us to be able to express your love and, and your care And to meet tangible needs. So would you open up our eyes on how we can do this in our schools? For those of us who are students, would you open up our eyes those who can do it in our neighborhoods? Would you open up our eyes where we can do that at at work? Would you open our eyes to those opportunities you provide in in the grocery store or at the hardware store? Would you you not, uh, don't, don't let us miss those moments, Jesus. And then we pray, would you lead us in those moments, too, if it's words to say the right words, if it's acts to know what actions we should take, because we really want to step right into this and follow your example, follow your lead and certainly follow your instruction. So we uh, ask you to do this. We want to serve you. And we're so grateful that you served us in Jesus name. Amen.